Chapter Thirty Four of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains, by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Determination of the party to proceed on foot. Dreary deserts between the Snake River and the Columbia. Distribution of effects preparatory to a march. Division of the party. Rugged march along the river. Wild and broken scenery. Shoshones alarm of a snake encampment intercourse with the snakes horse dealing value of a tin kettle sufferings from thirst a horse reclaimed fortitude of an indian woman scarcity of food dog's flesh a dainty news of mr crooks and his party painful travelling among the mountains snowstorms a dreary mountain prospect a bivouac during a wintry night return to the river bank the resolution of mr hunt and his companions was now taken to set out immediately on foot as to the other detachments that had in a manner gone forth to seek their fortunes there was little chance of their return they would probably make their own way through the wilderness at any rate to linger in the vague hope of relief from them would be to run the risk of perishing with hunger besides the winter was rapidly advancing and they had a long journey to make through an unknown country where all kinds of perils might await them they were yet in fact a thousand miles from astoria but the distance was unknown to them at the time everything before and around them was vague and conjectural and wore an aspect calculated to inspire despondency in abandoning the river they would have to launch forth upon vast trackless plains destitute of all means of subsistence where they might perish of hunger and thirst a dreary desert of sand and gravel extends from snake river almost to the columbia here and there is a thin and scanty herbage insufficient for the pasturage of horse or buffalo indeed these treeless wastes between the rocky mountains and the pacific are even more desolate and barren than the naked upper prairies on the atlantic side they present vast desert tracts that must ever defy cultivation and interpose dreary and thirsty wilds between the habitations of man in traversing which the wanderer will often be in danger of perishing seeing the hopeless character of these wastes mr hunt and his companions determined to keep along the course of the river where they would always have water at hand and would be able occasionally to procure fish and beaver and might perchance meet with indians from whom they could obtain provisions they now made their final preparations for the march all their remaining stock of provisions consisted of forty pounds of indian corn twenty pounds of grease about five pounds of portable soup and a sufficient quantity of dried meat to allow each man a pittance of five pounds and a quarter to be reserved for emergencies this being properly distributed they deposited all their goods and superfluous articles in the caches taking nothing with them but what was indispensable to the journey with all their management each man had to carry twenty pounds weight besides his own articles and equipments 
that they might have the better chance of procuring subsistence in the scanty region they were to traverse they divided their party into two bands mr hunt with eighteen men besides pierre dorian and his family was to proceed down the north side of the river while mr crooks with eighteen men kept along the south side on the morning of the ninth of october the two parties separated and set forth on their several courses mr hunt and his companions followed along the right bank of the river which made its way far below them brawling at the foot of perpendicular precipices of solid rock two and three hundred feet high for twenty-eight miles that they travelled this day they found it impossible to get down to the margin of the stream at the end of this distance they encamped for the night at a place which admitted a scrambling descent it was with the greatest difficulty however that they succeeded in getting up a kettle of water from the river for the use of the camp as some rain had fallen in the afternoon they passed the night under the shelter of the rocks the next day they continued thirty-two miles to the northwest keeping along the river which still ran in its deep-cut channel here and there a shady beach or a narrow strip of soil fringed with dwarf willows would extend for a little distance along the foot of the cliffs and sometimes a reach of still water would intervene like a smooth mirror between the foaming rapids as through the preceding day they journeyed on without finding except in one instance any place where they could get down to the river's edge and they were fain to allay the thirst caused by hard travelling with the water collected in the hollow of the rocks in the course of their march on the following morning they fell into a beaten horse-path leading along the river which showed that they were in the neighbourhood of some indian village or encampment they had not proceeded far along it when they met with two shoshones or snakes they approached with some appearance of uneasiness and accosting mr hunt held up a knife which by signs they let him know they had received from some of the white men of the advance parties it was with some difficulties that mr hunt prevailed upon one of the savages to conduct him to the lodges of his people striking into a trail or path which led up from the river he guided them for some distance in the prairie until they came in sight of a number of lodges made of straw and shaped like haystacks their approach as on former occasions caused the wildest affright among the inhabitants the women hid such of their children as were too large to be carried and too small to take care of themselves under straw and clasping their infants to their breasts fled across the prairie the men awaited the approach of the strangers but evidently in great alarm mr hunt entered the lodges and as he was looking about observed where the children were concealed their black eyes glistening like those of snakes from beneath the straw he lifted up the covering to look at them the poor little beings were horribly frightened and their fathers stood trembling as if a beast of prey were about to pounce upon their brood the friendly manner of mr hunt soon dispelled these apprehensions he succeeded in purchasing some excellent dried salmon and a dog an animal much esteemed as food by the natives and when he returned to the river one of the indians accompanied him he now came to where the lodges were frequent along the banks 
and after a day's journey of twenty-six miles to the northwest encamped in a populous neighborhood forty or fifty of the natives soon visited the camp conducting themselves in a very amicable manner they were well clad and all had buffalo robes which they procured from some of the hunting tribes in exchange for salmon their habitations were very comfortable each had its pile of wormwood at the door for fuel and within was abundance of salmon some fresh but the greater part cured when the white men visited the lodges however the women and children hid themselves through fear among the supplies obtained here were two dogs on which our travellers breakfasted and found them to be very excellent well flavoured and hearty food in the course of the three following days they made about sixty-three miles generally in a northwest direction they met with many of the natives in their straw-built cabins who received them without alarm about their dwellings were immense quantities of the heads and skins of salmon the best part of which had been cured and hidden in the ground the women were badly clad the children worse their garments were buffalo robes or the skins of foxes hares and badgers and sometimes the skins of ducks sewed together with the plumage on most of the skins must have been procured by traffic with other tribes or in distant hunting excursions for the naked prairies in the neighborhood afforded few animals excepting horses which were abundant there were signs of buffaloes having been there but a long time before on the fifteenth of november they made twenty-eight miles along the river which was entirely free from rapids the shores were lined with dead salmon which tainted the whole atmosphere the natives whom they met spoke of mr reed's party having passed through that neighborhood in the course of the day mr hunt saw a few horses but the owners of them took care to hurry them out of the way all the provisions they were able to procure were two dogs and a salmon on the following day they were still worse off having to subsist on parched corn and the remains of their dried meat the river this day had resumed its turbulent character forcing its way through a narrow channel between steep rocks and down violent rapids they made twenty miles over a rugged road gradually approaching a mountain in the northwest covered with snow which had been in sight for three days past on the seventeenth they met with several indians one of whom had a horse mr hunt was extremely desirous of obtaining it as a pack-horse for the men worn down by fatigue and hunger found the loads of twenty pounds weight which they had to carry daily growing heavier and more galling the indians however along this river were never willing to part with their horses having none to spare the owner of the steed in question seemed proof against all temptation article after article of great value in indian eyes was offered and refused the charms of an old tin kettle however were irresistible and a bargain was concluded a great part of the following morning was consumed in lightening the packages of the men and arranging the load for the horse at this encampment there was no wood for fuel even the wormwood on which they had frequently depended having disappeared for the two last days they had made thirty miles to the northwest 
on the nineteenth of november mr hunt was lucky enough to purchase another horse for his own use giving in exchange a tomahawk a knife a fire-steel and some beads and gartering in an evil hour however he took the advice of the indians to abandon the river and follow a road or trail leading into the prairies he soon had cause to regret the change the road led across a dreary waste without verdure and where there was neither fountain nor pool nor running stream the men now began to experience the torments of thirst aggravated by their diet of dried fish the thirst of the canadian voyageurs became so insupportable as to drive them to the most revolting means of allaying it for twenty-five miles did they toll on across this dismal desert and laid themselves down at night parched and disconsolate beside their wormwood fires looking forward to still greater sufferings on the following day fortunately it began to rain in the night to their infinite relief the water soon collected in puddles and afforded them delicious draughts refreshed in this manner they resumed their wayfaring as soon as the first streaks of dawn gave light enough for them to see their path the rain continued all day so that they no longer suffered from thirst but hunger took its place for after travelling thirty-three miles they had nothing to sup on but a little parched corn the next day brought them to the banks of a beautiful little stream running to the west and fringed with groves of cottonwood and willow on its borders was an indian camp with a great many horses grazing around it the inhabitants too appeared to be better clad than usual the scene was altogether a cheering one to the poor half-famished wanderers they hastened to their lodges but on arriving at them met with a check that at first dampened their cheerfulness an indian immediately laid claim to the horse of mr hunt saying that it had been stolen from him there was no disproving a fact supported by numerous bystanders and which the horse-stealing habits of the indians rendered but too probable so mr hunt relinquished his steed to the claimant not being able to retain him by a second purchase at this place they encamped for the night and made a sumptuous repast upon fish and a couple of dogs procured from their indian neighbors the next day they kept along the river but came to a halt after ten miles march on account of the rain here they again got a supply of fish and dogs from the natives and two of the men were fortunate enough each to get a horse in exchange for a buffalo robe one of these men was pierre dorion the half-breed interpreter to whose suffering family the horse was a timely acquisition and here we cannot but notice the wonderful patience perseverance and hardihood of the indian women as exemplified in the conduct of the poor squaw of the interpreter she was now far advanced in her pregnancy and had two children to take care of one four and the other two years of age the latter of course she had frequently to carry on her back in addition to the burden usually imposed upon the squaw yet she had borne all her hardships without a murmur and throughout this weary and painful journey had kept pace with the best of the pedestrians indeed on various occasions in the course of this enterprise she displayed a force of character that won the respect 
and applause of the white men mr hunt endeavored to gather some information from these indians concerning the country and the course of the rivers his communications with them had to be by signs and a few words which he had learnt and of course were extremely vague all that he could learn from them was that the great river the columbia was still far distant but he could ascertain nothing as to the route he ought to take to arrive at it for the two following days they continued westward upwards of forty miles along the little stream until they crossed it just before its junction with snake river which they found still running to the north before them was a wintry-looking mountain covered with snow on all sides in three days more they made about seventy miles fording two small rivers the waters of which were very cold provisions were extremely scarce their chief sustenance was portable soup a meagre diet for weary pedestrians on the twenty seventh of november the river led them into the mountains through a rocky defile where there was scarcely room to pass they were frequently obliged to unload the horses to get them by the narrow places and sometimes to wade through the water and getting round rocks and budding cliffs all their food this day was a beaver which they had caught the night before by evening the cravings of hunger were so sharp and the prospect of any supply among the mountains so faint that they had to kill one of the horses the men says mr hunt in his journal find the meat very good and indeed so should i were it not for the attachment i have to the animal early the following day after proceeding ten miles to the north they came to two lodges of shoshones who seemed in nearly as great extremity as themselves having just killed two horses for food they had no other provisions excepting the seed of a weed which they gather in great quantities and pound fine it resembles hemp seed mr hunt purchased a bag of it and also some small pieces of horse-flesh which he began to relish pronouncing them fat and tender from these indians he received information that several white men had gone down the river some on one side and a good many on the other these last he concluded to be mr crooks and his party he was thus released from much anxiety about their safety especially as the indians spoke about mr crooks having one of his dogs yet which showed that he and his men had not been reduced to extremity of hunger as mr hunt feared that he might be several days in passing through this mountain defile and run the risk of famine he encamped in the neighborhood of the indians for the purpose of bartering with them for a horse the evening was expended in ineffectual trials he offered a gun a buffalo robe and various other articles the poor fellows had probably like himself the fear of starvation before their eyes at length the women learning the object of his pressing solicitations and tempting offers set up such a terrible hue and cry that he was fairly howled and scolded from the ground the next morning early the indians seemed very desirous to get rid of their visitors fearing probably for the safety of their horses in reply to mr hunt's inquiries about the mountains they told him that he would have to sleep but three nights more among them and that six days travelling would take him to the falls of the columbia 
information in which he put no faith believing it was only given to induce him to set forward these he was told were the last snakes he would meet with and that he would soon come to a nation called skyatogas forward then did he proceed on his tedious journey which at every step grew more painful the road continued for two days through narrow defiles where they were repeatedly obliged to unload the horses sometimes the river passed through such rocky chasms and under such steep precipices that they had to leave it and make their way with excessive labor over immense hills almost impassable for horses on some of these hills were a few pine trees and their summits were covered with snow on the second day of this scramble one of the hunters killed a black-tailed deer which afforded the half-starved travellers a sumptuous repast their progress these two days was twenty-eight miles a little to the northward of east the month of december set in drearily with rain in the valleys and snow upon the hills they had to climb a mountain with snow to the mid-leg which increased their painful toil a small beaver supplied them with a scanty meal which they eked out with frozen blackberries haws and chokecherries which they found in the course of their scramble their journey this day though excessively fatiguing was but thirteen miles and all the next day they had to remain encamped not being able to see half a mile ahead on account of a snowstorm having nothing else to eat they were compelled to kill another of their horses the next day they resumed their march in snow and rain but with all their efforts could only get forward nine miles having for a part of the distance to unload the horses and carry the packs themselves on the succeeding morning they were obliged to leave the river and scramble up the hills from the summit of these they got a wide view of the surrounding country and it was a prospect almost sufficient to make them despair in every direction they beheld snowy mountains partially sprinkled with pines and other evergreens and spreading a desert and toilsome world around them the wind howled over the bleak and wintry landscape and seemed to penetrate to the marrow of their bones they waded on through the snow which at every step was more than knee-deep after toiling in this way all day they had the mortification to find that they were but four miles distant from the encampment of the preceding night such was the meandering of the river among these dismal hills pinched with famine exhausted with fatigue with evening approaching and a wintry wild still lengthening as they advanced they began to look forward with sad forebodings to the night's exposure upon this frightful waste fortunately they succeeded in reaching a cluster of pines about sunset their axes were immediately at work they cut down trees piled them in great heaps and soon had huge fires to cheer their cold and hungry hearts about three o'clock in the morning it again began to snow and at daybreak they found themselves as it were in a cloud scarcely being able to distinguish objects at the distance of a hundred yards guiding themselves by the sound of running water they set out for the river and by slipping and sliding contrived to get down to its bank one of the horses missing his footing rolled down several hundred yards with his load but sustained no injury 
the weather in the valley was less rigorous than on the hills the snow lay but ankle-deep and there was a quiet rain now falling after creeping along for six miles they encamped on the border of the river being utterly destitute of provisions they were again compelled to kill one of their horses to appease their famishing hunger End of chapter thirty four